0: Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast.
1: I'm Maurice Davis, Head of Collections here at the Royal Academy, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to this conversation between Timothy Hyman and Anthony Green. I've had the enormous pleasure, in a very vague sort of way, overseeing Anthony's exhibition, and I say in a very vague sort of way for two reasons. Firstly, working with Anthony as with working with so many Royal Academicians, was an enormous pleasure, because not only is, as you are about to find out, Anthony incredibly entertaining and convivial, but also he's incredibly well organised, and the exhibition was planned with military precision by him, so it was a real pleasure doing it. It was an extra pleasure for me, because I didn't really do anything. It was my (laughs) colleague, my colleague Morgan Feely, in the front row, who really did all the work, and I swanned around. So it's Anthony and him you have to thank. So, Anthony we worked out, has exhibited at 51 consecutive summer exhibitions. Tim and Anthony were telling me before that they've known each other for over 50 years, and they may talk about that and you can find out why. I've got a biog for Anthony that I should try and read with a straight face but I don't think I will. You're you're one of the UK's most eminent narrative and figurative painters and I I say it's hard to say that with a straight face because Anthony loves telling everybody how he's completely unfashionable, how he's completely shunned by the official modernisms and conceptualisms of the art world. Um, He has exhibited all over the world. He's had a particular phase of popularity in Japan. He's also exhibited in New York, Berlin and Sydney. There was a retrospective held here in 1978 and then in 87 to 88 in Japan. He was shortlisted for the Jerwood Painting Prize in 1996. Tim Hyman is a figurative painter, a writer, curator and lecturer. He's a portraitist but he's probably best known for his narrative renditions of London. He's exhibited widely in the UK, Italy and India and won the National Portrait Gallery Travel Award in 2007. He writes extensively on art and film, in Times Literary Supplement, particularly. He's curated exhibitions at Tate ICA and the Hayward Gallery, and his most recent book is The World New Made, Figurative Painting in the 20th Century. The Royal Academy, to coincide with the exhibition, has published a biography of Anthony. If at the end you nip out and buy a copy, Anthony will wait here for you to bring it back and have it signed. Somebody has already had the presence of mind to do that. Yes, very good. So I'm now going to hand over to Tim and Anthony.
2: I know that everybody here is here for Anthony. We all know, a lot of us know, that he's one of the best stand-up comics in London. And so I don't want to stop him, but I thought for a little while, we would conspire, the audience and me, to, to stop him from going into full flow and talk about art. Because on the whole, he talks about life. And the book is called Painting Life. And I think that means that's, that's kind of in contradiction a bit consciously to uh, and his whole approach in both the books that have been published. The first one, the same writer, Martin Bailey, wrote A Green Part of the World. 20 years ago? 30, years, 30 ago. years ago. And it's entirely biographical. It's mostly Antony's words, actually. And the same would be true of this book. So he, on the whole, I won't say it's smokescreen, but, but the anecdotes do, do sort of cover up other kinds of questions that I want to bring up. So let's just have the first slide. I know that it was terribly important to Antony that he saw Romanesque timpana and they gave him this idea of a a sort of grand container, which is very relevant, I think, to the current show. You know, something that had... It's painted originally. This is one of the few big, great Romanesque timpana that still keeps quite a lot of its colour. It doesn't come through very strongly, but there is colour. Like that brick wall is... brick wall, you see. When you're there, the colour is quite strong, isn't it? Yes. If we just go to the next one, and then we can go back again. Just go. This is Conk, so okay, we've just seen Conk. This is a painting I particularly like that's in the British Council collection. Now, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't want to press Andy too hard on this, but he has. he's excluded from the monograph one or two of my favorites. He said he knew her. he was doing that. <laughs> and uh, this one is called Christmas Mirror. And it's a rather wonderful picture about a mirror that was given. As a wedding present to his parents, 1933. Of course, his parents separated eventually, and that's a very important part of his makeup. 12? You were 12? Uh, yes, 12, yeah. Yep. And um, there's a, a strange scene being enacted where the child has been given a puppet, but it's a puppet of Anthony Green not you know it must have been Chaplin I guess originally something like that yes but now it's it's become Anthony and so past and present are there in this strange room now some of you will know that for many years uh Anthony lived in the the very flat where his parents had broken up he got he got back to it and it means that he's extraordinarily rooted in a series of rooms which of course he's long since he's he's moved to the country he's long since moved beyond but there is a tremendous passionate interest in that creating that space and when i first saw that space um and it would apply to a lot of anthony greens i wrote a catalog for the introduction for the japanese retrospective which is all about art we are made to experience the room in all its three-dimensionality the picture becomes its solid distillation, a jagged thought form parked against the wall, a crowded bubble of memory, a floating mechanism to constitute the past. Something like that, I think, is happening very strongly in a somewhat different idiom with the rail mink coat and the rail handbag next door. And so that's what really excites me often in Anthony's work. Shall we just go back to the conch? Anthony, anything to say about conch? Yes, uh, Mary and
0: I went to Cork in the early 1960s on a kind of motoring sort of touring holiday in France. I'm half French, so it was really a matter of going to see my relatives and then plunging into southwest France to go to Cork. I knew about it from illustrations of Romanist uh, uh, churches and abbeys. uh, And it bowled me over because here was a complete narrative stuck into an architectural setting. Uh, and of course, I also realised that, it, you know, when it, the day it was finished, it was brightly coloured. So it would have been a complete sort of slice of, sort of reality. Um, and it's, it stuck. Um, I'd been trained at the Slade. I mean, both Tim and I come from the same kind of background, all sort of Slade drawing, etc. And upon leaving the Slade, I was faced with the dilemma of actually what sort of artist was I going to be? Was I going to be Picasso or Munnings or William Coldstream <laughs> or Salvador Dali, to name but a few? Uh, and I only didn't know the answer to that question. Uh, I ended up on a French government scholarship in Paris after the slade, sitting in a rather dingy little French hotel right near the Arsé Metier, which is kind of Covent Garden, was there Covent Garden then? And thinking, well, you know, what am I going to do? I'm a professional artist. I've won book prizes at Slade. You know, I'm sort of on the up and up. But I don't. I'm, none of it is me. And I actually thought that. I, it wasn't sort of what I call. Uh, this is not art speak. This is just what I felt. And I thought, well. What do I really care about? And the answer was, I was very lucky. I, the answer was, well, I've left this girlfriend behind at a slate who was a year behind me, and we were engaged. And I was, as soon as I'd finished my French stint on this scholarship, I was going home to get married. And I thought, well, I ought to be painting about something I really care about. Um, and there's a subtext to this, and that is that unlike a lot of artists, I had survived the Blitz as a baby. Uh, I had not been in Guernica during the fascist bombings. Uh, I had not actually been in the siege of Leningrad, and I came from a very kind of lukewarm, sort of middle, lower, upper, lower middle class, like going upwards, middle class family in North London, where to nothing particularly had happened. We hadn't been hit by a V1 or anything like that. We did, we, we'd survived. No relatives had been killed. In other words, it was kind of it was kind of custard life, really, that I was leading. I'd, we'd been fortunate, and but of course the big thing in my life, apart from the fact that my parents had got divorced, which had shaken me rigid. Was that I'd met this wonderful girl and I was in love, and art didn't really come into it. Well, yes, it did, Tim, because it, without actually art, I couldn't actually be here to actually sort of for you to uh, share. Anthony the is one of the
2: most visually literate artists I've, I've met. Uh, he, he knows a great deal about art.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> so, how do you actually do that? You know, how do you kind of paint about being in love with Mary Cousins Walker? And the answer was, well, you start doing pictures. And I had to unlearn. Let's have the, the next
2: one. Let's have the. the, the
0: Christmas Mirror, Justin. Christmas Mirror was actually as a result, about sort of 15 years after I um, had seen the cork things, uh, whereby I was actually trying to actually tell a story of family life. Uh, by, when I painted the picture, of course, it was a memory of childhood before my parents were separated. My French relatives had come over f- after being separated during the occupation under Marshal Pétain, during the, until after D-Day, my aunt was living in London, her husband was living in France. Um, she's my godmother, she's the lady playing with the puppet in the foreground of the picture. Um, how do you picture that? you could got your coat, I suppose you could take a photograph of it, but I'm not in the business of doing that, I make pictures. I was rapidly thinking about myself as a picture maker. In other words, you work on a flat surface, and as Tim has pointed out, you know, it's based on, the container is a sort of art deco bevelled mirror. Mm-hmm. Which I have stretched uh,
2: you, if it About made a ten sh- foot, I think hasn 't it yes,
0: it 's stretched to yep. ten foot, in other words, when you stand in front of it and you go up close and you 're invited to go up close because I've painted in a lot of detail, and I want you as a human being to be curious, so you walk up to the surface and you don 't say, "Ah, oh, belle peinture, you go, blimey look that she 's got her slippers on it 's Christmas morning. Um, so I've actually given up, and Tim and I have discussed this on a number of occasions, that in fact is that the actual, the, 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 the peinture quality in the painting, in fact is, there's less of it than there should be. Um, <laughs> because in fact, I have attempted to actually put in as much detail as possible. Finish. It's called finish, yes. Um, and it's, I suppose, it's, a, it's an inherent weakness that I have. Well, Although, I will say before you, yeah. you it's is the fact that I, by the time I did this painting, I had actually been to Flanders and I'd actually seen the Flemish primitives where you can't see the brush marks. Uh, I'd also been to... Burgundy, And I'd been to Bourne, not to drink the booze, which is very nice, but to go to the Hospice de Bourne, which also produces vino. But they have a wonderful Roger van der Weyden.
2: The Last Judgment, wonderful. A,
0: wonderful, one of the great paintings of European northern civilization. And the gardien, who would stand in front of it in a uniform with a large microscope thing, he would say, Monsieur, dames, regardez les détails. And you, everybody let forward... <coughs> And, of course, you couldn't see the brush marks. All these damned were roaring into hell on the right-hand side of the picture. And they were damned. And they had got five o'clock shadows. You couldn't see how the bristles were painted. I mean, it was bloody marvellous. It really
2: was. We'll come back to the detail in a moment. <laughs> Let's just have another one more.
0: I was trying here in a sort of rather sort of sorry sort of way, trying to, to think, well, you know, long live the Flemish primitives and Roger de la Pasteur, which is what the frogs call him, and try to do some of that.
2: This so, is kind of the next town on, Autun to burn. Been there very, as well, yes. <laughs> Bern, which, which, also, which also is a judgment image, of yes, course. Oh. I just think that the aspiration to make something that has some of the power of a religious monument is there in Antony from the beginning. I think it's, it really is one of the driving forces.
0: Can you, I immediately yes. semicolon yes. my go? Yes. Um, <laughs> the, um, the first thing I remember as a child is lying back in my bed at number 17 to and looking up at the wall above me and upside down there was a picture of the Nativity and it was by the Maître des Moulins. I didn't know that at the time, I didn't know what art was, but there was this picture of the Holy Family in Bethlehem and above that there was a Virgin in Glory also by Maître des Moulins. And blow me down, on our trip through to Burgundy and everywhere else, we went to Autain, Mary and I, and there in a town in the museum at Autain, we discovered the method in Moulin's nativity. It was as if I'd found the Holy Grail. It's only about that big. It's a mm. painting like that. Mm. And I had known that before I knew what art was. Mm. So in a sense, the, 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 the religious side of the thing actually does look after itself. I was brought up as a Catholic. My mum was oh, being a big French family. They, you know, they hadn't come over here as refugees, uh, you know, as, as, as Protestants. They were a core blimey French Catholic family who didn't really take it at all seriously. But they, what they, were. they were nominally French Catholics. And
2: you went to Catholic? The most bloody-minded
0: Catholics in Europe, if I may may say. But you went to Catholic schools. I went to a Catholic school to begin with called St. Ignatius. And I went to a girl's Catholic convent when I was a little boy at the age of four and a half. Uh,
2: That probably counts for a lot. (laughs) Uh, Can I just come back to the... the, You see, these tympanums are compartmented. They have many things going on at once. And I think that... Shall we have the next one? That something... when, When we're next door, something of that... Um, that multiplicity. I mean, he's gone the whole way. The actual, uh, he hasn't done that before quite in that way to that extent. The actual mink coat of 1955, the handbag, the, the scarf, these are all real objects. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, and in fact, they're pretty much relics. I mean, is one of the places where you see relics. We do
0: indeed, yes. <laughs> In fact, I have to say, in fact, that there are relics in the exhibition. In fact, the show next door, which you will have walked through, in fact, is a tribute to my late mother. And as all kind of reliquies are full of marvellous things, my mother's ashes are actually contained in the sculpture. They're there. They're there in the (laughs) exhibition. I'm not trying to be... It's not shocking. It's just the fact that I've had mum in a plastic pot since she came from from, from The Undertaker's and I've been waiting to actually spread, uh, sprinkle her ashes somewhere in Golders Green uh, with Uncle Stan, my stepfather, and I haven't kind of got around to it. And at at one point during making works for the last couple of years, I wondered, I thought they ought to be in the show. I've got her, I've got her (coughs) fur coat and I've got her standard lamp and I've got her what she has as a teenager and her parents' gold teeth. So why shouldn't I have Mum's ashes? (laughs) Uh, so it's very difficult to talk about art, Tim, because <laughs> I'm sort of, I'm now I'm going to be very modern and up to date and say that in fact this is me being myself. I am myself before I'm an artist. That's not to say that I'm an ignorant git; that I am actually quite well educated when it comes to
2: knowledge of developments in art. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry i don't know not at all Uh, but i just one thing i picked up seeing it's hard to see the detail but you see the table up at the top that little um crystal glass container is there in the exhibition it's it's actually the sort of the 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 top of the the ash container the The
0: actual crystal the the actually contains a small portrait of me at the age of 12. Yep. I've taken the powder puff out and put myself in there so that when you look through to see the little image, you are having a sort of Italian-like... Uh, 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 I've forgotten, what's the... the uh, what? Cubist experience. It's the, shattered imagery.
2: The Roger van der Weyden, he mentioned, uh, was shown to the dying. I mean, that's what it was there for, was to give them the last judgment as they were dying. All, all, the hospice de bone wasn't just a hospital. No, no, it was
0: actually hung in the, in the, in the hospital area. At, the end, at the end of
2: the bed, yeah. as it were.
0: So and in so, a sense, I was brought up with this kind of idea that all's well kind of in, on, you know, on God's world. It may, we may have pogroms occasionally, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's all kind of turn out sort of more or less around, as long as you keep your nose clean. Um, and, of course, I've gone along with that uh, until I bumped into this girl at the Slade who turned out to be, she's a funny sort of Christian she was. She was a Protestant. And I was kind of sort of, I really I had to educate myself very fast, which I did, obviously, because when you're in love, you don't want to waste any time. Um, and it turned out that she was a member of the Congregational Union of England and Wales, and they're Oliver Cromwell's lot, who are famous for actually what I call destroying images. <laughs> Deary me, and there she was at the slave making them. Um, but joking apart, um, I, I sort of took to this because it sounded like an early form of democracy. Church meeting, which is the thing that Mary had experienced, in fact, as a young girl. At congregational uh, chapels was that in fact it's the, you didn't actually do things. Well, you appointed first of all you appointed your own minister, so it's rather like sort of voting for Mrs. May rather than having one foist on you. Um, so, and if you didn't like, if not all of you agreed, you didn't. She didn't get the job. Um, so the minister could be invited to come along and what I call minister to you, but it was none of this kind of bishop nonsense, whereby the bishop is appointed by a kind of people who know better than you. So in a sense, it. Crudely, suddenly I felt that I had a a hotline to God and I could actually chuck the Catholics out of the window. They'd been very good. They'd got me so far. But this girl, Miss Cousins Walker, Congregationalist, uh, suddenly opened my eyes to a whole new world of, of... democracy and early forms of democracy. And uh, I still have my doubts about Oliver Cromwell, I have to say to you. uh, But
2: more more particularly, I mean, when I first met you, I remember you did describe yourself as a church-going conservative. But, yes, but 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 are you still church going actually? Yes, yes. I so oh, won't say I go. Sunday?
0: I don't. We don't go every Sunday. I I'm, thought I, you didn't. As, as a retired elder in the United Reformed Church, which is part of uh-huh. the congregation thing, I'm what they do in theatrical terms. I'm resting at the moment. <laughs> uh, but that means it doesn't mean that I don't expect actually to to meet my mum in paradise. And you those of you who are going to say, oh my God, you know, this is this is a kind of revivalist meeting that we've come to. It should have been. We should have been warned. Uh, It doesn't work like that, ladies and gentlemen. What it works on, it works on European civilization. Uh, After all, the the input of the Judeo-Christian ethic in European civilization is a a long-standing one. It informs so much of the thinking that we do and how we eat, how we sleep, how we marry, how we don't marry, how we exist in a state of sin, if we even know what sin is. So in a sense, there's nothing particularly outrageous about what I'm saying. I'm simply just carrying on being a good good Judeo-Christian European,
2: really. When we look through Antony's books, um, the two two of the main themes, one is obviously the love between Mary and Antony, which is explored marvelously. One of the first things I remember Antony, I think, saying to me when I was at the Slade, he certainly said it later, and I've heard him say something like it many times, he said if you want to be an artist, you have to be prepared to walk down the street in your underpants. And sometimes you say wifers, but underpants. Yes. And so that degree of disclosure is, is basic to what he's doing. But the other theme is the mother. And uh, he has had a, I mean, it's not quite so strong in this book as in for obvious reasons. She's been dead a long time now, like yeah. 2003, 2003, Yeah. No. But yeah. I think there was a period when the phrase he uses: "She was a bad widow." <laughs> that, yes, uh, no, it's yeah. true. And so, so, she was an enormous part of his, his emotional life. He was an only child, who had to really cope with with her her, her unhappiness.
0: I, I'm interjecting here. I must actually say I loved her a lot. She was yeah. a very cuddly, loving mum, yeah. and she was also rather glamorous. I can remember really eternally. I have the picture of it. She is they, rather
2: glamorous in this painting.
0: Well, but, but by the time she got to 97, she was a very old lady, and she'd been struck down by the vicissitudes of life, and she was a poor old dementia rattled old dear. And it was very, very sad, and it hurt to actually experience that and have to look after her and generally sort of care and, and, and about her. But overall, her life was... She, she was a fun-loving, wonderful mum, who cuddly, pretty, uh, and for all the wrong reasons, you're probably... Now you're, I'm going to go down in your estimation now because she had those lovely long Cruella de Vil red fingernails. She spoke, although she was French, she spoke English with a, just a perfectly straightforward sort of North London kind of middle-class accent. Um, and she looked glamorous. And, you know, it was, when you walked along with your mum, you kind of thought, well, my mum's kind of A-OK. We're very,
2: we're very used to Nancy Green's paintings to, to sexual relations with Mary... And Anthony, but it's sort of a shock. I think everyone's registered that. Well, the point is that that this isn't. This is is the stepfather and the mother.
0: Yes. Well, the thing is that I was an only child. I used to come home from boarding school, and my mum remarried, and she married a gentleman who was a a wholesale lobster merchant in the city of London. Uh, And after my father, who, in fact, was drunk most of the time, albeit in a very nice gentlemanly sort of way, she'd married a gentleman, in fact, who'd also run away from a drunken wife in Hove, so that the two middle-aged individuals were actually very pleased to fall into each other's arms. Neither of them had, any, had not had what we would call in polite society quality sex for a number of years. Um, <laughs> so they were really rather pleased to sort of be in each other's company, and they had a registry office marriage because the Catholic Church didn't want to marry divorcees. Uh, and I came home from boarding school, and of course I was very, very curious. I was introduced to this gentleman in a blue... A pinstripe suit and Oxford black shiny shoes, as being Mr. Jocelyn, and I thought he was—he seems all right, okay, nothing wrong with him. Uh, And my mother said, "Oh, darling," she said, "Did you know that Stanley can stand on his head?" And in the painting, which you've seen, there's a man in his long johns standing on his head. In fact, Stanley stood on his head in their bedroom, in his everyday out his suit, and there was a shriek from my mother. "said Stanley, 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 don't do that! You'll give yourself a fit." Whereupon the legs elegantly sort of came down and he stood up, pushed back his very slick Fred Astaire pomaded hair and we carried on with the conversation. (laughs) He never bribed me. He was a perfect stepfather. He never bribed me at all. He never bought me bicycles and things to sort of what I call make me, keep me quiet and sort of on side. I just kind of respected the guy. He was incredibly ordinary. Ever
2: ever since I've known Anthony, he's been making shaped canvases, not always, but often working beyond the rectangle. And this has really become a huge thing. And he does do his own carpentry, I think I'm right yes, to say, yes, to yes, this day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the degree of sort of cut out in this particular work, it, I, I mean, it doesn't come across in the photograph, but most of those figures are. I mean, the head is rescued from a much earlier picture. Yes, 1963. 30, 63, yeah. yeah, 63, really? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes,
0: yes, yes. Unchanged. And, uh, a little bit of highlight flicked in just to incorporate okay. it into, okay. the, uh, into the rest of the yep. light, the Um
2: The handbag is railed, the gloves are painted. The, the, we're, we're alternating between, between three-dimensional and two-dimensional. Mm. Can we just have the next slide? And I did find myself visually, as I often do, thinking of Chagall in relation to Antony, but especially that slightly cut-out <laughs> moment. There's, there's a not very good sort of variant of this picture in the current revolution show. And it's a a very, it's it's an opposite uh, kind of verse. This is a great one.
0: Yeah, uh, and it's perfectly true. And you, if the cut-out feeling that you get in the Chagall, of course, is something that actually draws attention to the flying figure. It's actually putting yeah. them under the, under, the, under the spotlight. And I actually... I don't want my... I am not a retiring violet, shrinking violet, rather. Mm. I want my pictures to actually speak
2: to you. I want them to actually say hello when you walk into the room. But just behind Anthony's head, there is a little figure shedding, actually. Well, well, well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, well, fine, fine.
0: Uh, um... All sorts of things you, you discover in green paintings which, in fact, you, if you go up close, you, you know, you get up close and personal, there are small details which hopefully are there to kind of possibly take you aback or to sort of charm you. Uh, so, in a sense, they are a sort of a visitor's experience, really, going to a sort of grand guignol, really, possibly. Uh, they're, it's very difficult to hang words on them. Uh, it's, you know, they're, 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 they're cartoony in, in a way because, of course, cartoonists... I was trained by Walt Disney at the age of eight to actually make things you could see in a foggy day at sort of 20 paces. Um, so, in a sense, you expect people to look at your work. Uh, I get very frustrated by out-of-focus painting, which is to do with kind of mood and tone and, their and touch and touch. <laughs> uh, they kind of get up my nose because you kind of you're not quite certain what you're looking at, and you want to kind of keep leaning forward to kind of refocus it. I, I'm I gonna come We back all to have weaknesses. That. I'm going to come one back might... to that one. Yes, I'm sure you <laughs> are.
2: <laughs> but um, this is a big scale, isn't it? I mean, that's that's a full scale it's, sofa. This head is
0: three times life size. Yeah. At least. Yeah. So it's it's basically it's a big sculpture which I exhibited a number of years ago. But and this is after the resurrection. This is the resurrection. This is part of the resurrection. It's, it's the middle of it. Is it okay? It's I'm the sorry. middle of it, and basically, it's the artist looking at his whole world all around him, and he actually—if you actually take that phrase—that man was manufactured in the image of God, which sounds very sort of posh and sort of biblical, but on the other hand, of course, it means, of course, in fact, is that you actually look like God, and every one of you does too. It was tour It's it very personal. 12, you see. 12 English cathedrals. It went visited twelve cathedrals <laughs> uh, and a few and a congregational chapel and Harrow School. Uh, our, we went to a it was interdenominational. We went to uh, we went to a Catholic cathedral, Paddy's Wigwam in Liverpool.
2: And did you get a lot of feedback?
0: Yes, quite June a lot, actually. Yep. Educationally, people sort of, we were free entrants, so people used to bring p- school parties around. Um, it was a thing, I did it for the millennium, because the millennium seemed to be like a shopping exp- ex- experience for the nation. And the millennium, of course, was 2,000 years of Christendom. And I just thought, perhaps I'll make something about my life and what I kind of think about going to, you know, living on Earth and going to heaven. And, and bar me to do it, really. Uh, I mean, the, the ecclesiastical people who saw it were kind of—they they thought that
2: I was crazy. This is an um, early masterpiece, I think. No, relatively middle masterpiece, <laughs> you, you could say. Uh, which is now, I just think, 40 years ago. 40, is it really? So, yes, 35, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my mother alone in her dining room. Very poignant.
0: When I actually, when, when Tim reminded you of the fact that I actually said that my mum made a very bad widow, she really did. Uh, Stan sat up in bed in 1969. And said, Oh, duck, he said, I've got a pain in my chest and dropped dead next to her in bed. Yeah. They'd been married for 16 years, very happily.
2: Yeah.
0: And mum simply liked being married to a bloke. I know. She, my father, who'd been a sorry disappointment, she told me in later life. She said, "Darling," she said, "he was the love of my life, your father. Except the silly fool kind of spoilt it all by boozing bottles of Johnny Walker. But he was the love of my life." And we're talking back way back into the early twenties and early thirties. Stanley came along. And they were two lost souls, and they made a, a real go of it. And they, and, but she was, she hated being single. And you know all the stories you hear from widows about going home to an empty house and all that sort of thing. Again, that actually. That's more important than art. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's such a human dilemma about yes, being yes. left behind, being alone. And you, you, you set up your dream home and you're all by yourself. You, can, you have the kids around for Christmas and Easter, all those kind of things. But basically, you go to bed the a cold bed. And she didn't like it at all. Eventually, she had an affair with a, with a, with a Danish gentleman uh, a few years later uh, who actually tried to... Um, well, he was all right, he was okay, he was a, he was a widower, but uh, he, my children ate at the side of him. Uh, I hope he's not in the audience,
2: I it would be terrible. <laughs> but uh, actually, informally, this is interesting because this is not a shaped, one, no, within the no, rectangle. No. Uh, but it, there is this... It's got, part, it's got the cardboard box syndrome. Exactly, it's got the cardboard box syndrome, <laughs> which is... <yeah. laughs> that, so that, in a way, was the alternative. <laughs> That's and, an alternative, yes. You so so as you all know
0: that. this, you actually get a, yeah. a, a cardboard box, arrives in the post, and you open the lid, and you look inside, and it's a complete space. It's three-dimensional, and you've got flaps and lids and everything else. And it's a way, actually, if, you, if somebody locked all these doors, we could throw the ceiling open, and we'd increase the space. Alternatively, if you're an egg and somebody like me breaks you and you go bing and for a microsecond the volume of the egg is bigger than the sum of its two halves and what I was doing with the space was actually stretching it as an artist because I was always working on a flat surface so a lot of jiggery-pokery has to go, go into that to, as an artist to actually trick you, the spectators. I did not want to go down the Cubist route, whereby you after, with that, by the time you get to analytical Cubism, in fact, nobody knows what the hell's going on. Is it a clarinet? Is it a dead swan? Is it a girl's breast? What is it you're looking at? It's, a, it's wonderful art. It's terrific. We love them. What the hell's it all about? And I wanted my picture to be about. A breast is a breast. A clarinet is a clarinet, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera.
2: So here, here, are the ashes, which which actually yes. tells me that basically the, 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 the cylinder is a pedestal. It's the top yeah. pale disc at the top, which has That's actually had a, a it's had a it's had a
0: cavity built into it, just like an Egyptian tomb. Basically, it's exactly the same as the, the Egyptian concept of what you do with your with your dearly beloveds. And there no, they are.
2: Another one. Just, just down the road, close by, five, five minutes walk, there's a show in which this is perhaps the, the sort of... Well, it's it hung, hung at the longest vista. Maybe it's the masterpiece of the show, one of them anyway. And, uh, and I've and, just
0: told you the story about
2: and this it. And this is her dream. This is Madeline's dream.
0: The so bed's turned down. Stan has just died. He'll never dance and take her on cruises to do the Foxtrot ever again. And there he is looking as smart as Fred Astaire. And she's in her armchair and she's dreaming of a very happy relationship she had with him. And, you know, it's just, it's just very, very sad. Uh, the fact that she's living in a room full of reproduction furniture with kind of the, not your taste or possibly not even mine. But the fact is you have to take the world the way it presents itself. I and mean, I've presented my world as the world that I've lived in. Uh, I'm not a revolutionary when it comes to moving the furniture around or recovering things to sort of make everything go art deco or sort of minimalist. I just, you know, a chair's a chair. I'm much more interested by the fact that my mother's bottom's been sitting on it than the fact that it's got
2: the right pattern on it. But I'm fascinated by what Anthony does do with space in many, many pictures, and it's very, very inventive. I think Anthony said that, that teaching 14-year-olds as a young, very young man after the Slade had quite an effect on you in relation to... Yes, the... it did,
0: because, in fact, they haven't actually... Sort of puberty hasn't, what I call, kicked in yet, and therefore they take the world in a literal sort of way. For instance, if you ask them to paint a tennis match, they will paint a complete map of the ground plane, where they know where the white lines are, and then, of course, the, the net standing up. So they actually they flatten the net... On top of the, 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 the geographical location of the thing, and the figures are simply what I call planted on top of that. So you say, "Oh, how naive that is!" But in fact, it has a literal honesty about it, which is mind-blowing. I picked up on that. I spent seven years with these youngsters, thinking, "Blimey, they know more about composition than Picasso." Just for a brief moment before, kind of, you know, their balls drop. Um, so. Um, it had an effect on me, and I thought, well, you know, it's, you hear all artists keep saying, oh, well, I have to kind of keep, you know, I have to keep the, the, the child in me, I've got to be childlike, I mustn't be kind of like a high renaissance twerp, I've got to be, and the answer is, well, you know, you just look at your kids' paintings, you can, don't have to read the art books, it's there all the time. Well,
2: in a way, you keep the adolescent in you.
0: Yes, well, I think that's, I'm not <laughs> that's that. Somebody's actually said, in fact, that I, in fact, I'm suffering from, uh, what is it, arrested adolescence? I think so. I don't think I'm really grown up. I don't think my balls have dropped
2: really. And That's you're not the moment. only one. <laughs> yeah. Another one.
0: But the point is, you see that it all goes back to the first things that Tim said, which is that in fact is that in the world we're living in now, we're actually we're facing up to our own resources. You know, the artist is the artist is the artist. He's painting his he or she is painting themselves. And you've only got your own experience, your own learning, your own logic, actually, to back you up. You've got to jump, sort the jumble out and find a way through. It may not be the right one. I still maintain these paintings, in fact, are, are experimental. I don't. I didn't. When I started them, I didn't know they were going to actually sort of, you know, perhaps they might be. They might have a resolution to them. There's one coming up now, which I can see on the screen. That one up there. Yeah. Those of you who actually have a sense of humour will realise that, in fact, to sit on that lavatory seat, you need 14-foot-long lo- arms to reach the toilet roll. <laughs> <laughs> because of the expanded, I've opened the box right out oh, yes, to yes, give yes, you the yes, whole yes, lot. Yes, yes, yes. But you've got to have a sense of fun. You know, think, bloody hell, how'd you get hold of the toilet paper?
2: <laughs> and the colour is wonderful. I mean, the, the colour is another aspect which is very hard to convey. In the-
0: well, the point is that, you see, colour... There's what I call artistic colour which is the sort of colour that you kind of... I suppose the Bloomsbury group do artistic colour.
2: Well, they also but, do unfinished.
0: But they all do unfinished as well, which yeah. I don't approve of, but and artistic colour is artistic colour. Reality colour is what you're all wearing, <laughs> or what I go home to, or what my mother did when she rebuilt her bathroom. The bottom image is her original bathroom, Which she bought the house, it had long stem roses all over the wallpaper. And when Stan, by the time Stan, just half before Stan died, she had the room, she convinced him to actually spend a lot of money and have it redecorated with a new pedestal suite and everything else. And they went in for this chair, this thing he's sitting on, they bought of their own free will. Now, most people, most young artists would actually disown relatives like that. <laughs> but the answer is you're stuck with them because genetically you are actually you're joined at the sole of the hip with your children and your grandparents. <laughs> Wonder- you can't escape. Sorry about that if you think you could. Well
2: Yes. It's another another.
0: There's that chair you yeah. see. I mean it's 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 quite appalling, but the whole point of the picture is it's my <laughs> mum and she used to put her hair up and it was wonderful. It was it was like the pictures I'd seen of Toulouse La with the girls putting their ginger hair up and kind of into a bun at the top. And we all go kind of, you know, what I call weaker than knee because it's where men and their girls and the hair's up. And my mum used to do the same thing. And it's, that's what it's about. And the fact that she's got a pink chair that you actually would make you go blind if you had any acidic taste whatsoever <laughs> is beside the point. Well, However, not. the end result is that you end up by actually being very honest and actually taking the world as you see it producing something which is actually, dare I say it, singular.
2: I love this painting, which I think is still in the Sainsbury collection. Is that right? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And Anthony did have a fascinating show, which we haven't mentioned, Mm. which was about perception. You see, I think, again, I've said Anthony's very visually literate and he's actually read, which most artists haven't, whole books on perception. What's the name of that writer, David? I've forgotten now. No. Age <laughs> yeah. catching but, up. Yeah, it? yeah. But I mean, I, I, I was very, I took part in a conversation at the Sainsbury Centre with Anthony. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting, you know, just how much Anthony had thought about the, what, what, what the eye does. And I think it informs these pictures. As it happens, I think this is a particularly marvelous, I mean, who else has, we all know about those, those coat hangers. Yes. But nobody else has got, you know, it's a monument to coat hangers. Yeah. I have to
0: say to you, in fact, that it's a rip-off of an American artist that nobody in Europe's ever heard of. Oh, really? A Jewish artist called Philip Evergood.
2: Oh, well, I like Philip who, Evergood. Who,
0: wait for it, yeah. he went to Egypt. He'll be in the show upstairs, I'm sure. I'm not sure whether he's no? going to be in the show. Oh, he definitely. should be in the show, yeah, but he so probably won't be. He, he went, went to He went to Eden. the Slade. He went to the Slade, yeah. and then went back to America to his roots and became a quintessentially figu- narr- figurative narrative social realist painter in, mm. in New York. And, of course, when the American Abstract <laughs> Revolution took place, he was simply written out of the history books. He's a non-person. I mean, in a Stalinist sense, Philip Evergood. Who the hell is Philip Evergood? And he's a marvellous artist. He taught me how to put coat hangers on strings over baths.
2: don't you know. No, 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 that's yeah. Yeah.
0: Truth all will be out if you actually... Pinch me hard enough, Tim, it comes out eventually. But I do uh,
2: think these bathroom images are terrific because they, you know, they, they, they monumentalise something that n- nobody else has talked about.
0: Well, Bonnard yeah.
2: did bathroom. Ah, yes, yes, of a different kind. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm happy to say that my missus, actually, although she's perfectly clean, actually did not wash as much as Mrs Bonnard.
2: No, no. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, another one. Or Lady Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> one more.
0: But Tim's quite right to actually call me, call me to attention on the fact of not, not talking enough about art. Uh, quite a lot of the paintings, in fact, owe a terrific amount to School of Paris painters. I uh, owe an enormous amount to Picasso, to Cezanne, to Lautrec, uh, to all those
2: artists, obviously Van Gogh. Oh, but okay. to come back to the detail thing, I think some of what we respond to and Anthony isn't very good at acknowledging this is a sort of repulsion in the detail. And to me that relates to people like Otto Dix. The way that Otto Dix is fixated on almost fetishistic this is a silver paper uh, telephone done with silver foil. Mm. And it's incredible the, the, the physicality of that telephone, 1920. Let's go, let's see the whole thing.
0: He'd actually used it, of course, actually on a brothel scene, actually
2: with mirrors, actually with silver paper also, as well. Also, another uh, one, which the, is, the whole uh, just to see him. This is a self portrait, you see.
0: And, I, uh, adore, and uh, I adore, when I discovered Dix, which came along, kind of German expressionism came along later, but I mean, Dix, in fact, is simply a god, as far as uh, I'm really, concerned. I so, know, know, really? Yes, I adore, adore his work. But, but, but and, you uh, see, this isn't there some of the same tension between. Yes, parents... there probably is. I have to be very careful when I say that, because, yeah. of course, he led a very different life to the life I led. I did not live through Weimar, Germany, and the Nazi. Uh, a sort of rise to power and then the total humiliation that Dix actually felt becoming a non-artist under the Nazis and then being mm-hmm. humiliated by the so-called demo, new, new, germ, new German democratic artists who were into walls and abstract expressions they pretended they, they, they pretend he never even existed I mean that is the yeah. cruelest thing you can do to somebody, write and say that they're a load of repugnant shit but not say who the hell are you and then we're talking about Dix one of the greatest artists of modern German art good, and, uh,
2: good, good. Another one, let's have a... And the other artist I think we all feel Anthony is related to is Stanley Spencer. And I mean, the one thing about Spencer is that he does... He, I mean, this is more or less the same year. I think it is the same year. And so I, I, I curated the Stanley Spencer retrospective at the Tate, so I'm very... I'm, one of the things we, we've always met on is the Stanley Spencer yeah. thing. And he really wasn't unmentionable, you see, when we were at the... When I was, when Anthony was teaching me, he just...
0: You it just you, if you went to the Tate Gallery at the time that Tim was a student at the Slade Library, a very, very junior kind of visiting lecturer, if you went to the, to the, to the Tate, they were stuck in a back room, the Spencers. Or, or on, a, the,
2: on, the, staircase or the, on the
0: staircase to the Or on the staircase to the Louvre. That was humiliation. That was, the, yeah. that was again, was the Stalinist approach to but, Spencer in the But he is the, the one person, I think, um,
2: who, who does talk about his beloved relationships with he's the first actually wife, painting, all the... He's
0: actually painting the self. He's painting the self. He's painting the self. When I, when I was in Paris in 1960, uh, after the slave, when I was actually trying to find out who I was, I was very aware of the fact that I, what I was actually tr- be trying to do would be to be the world's greatest living expert on Anthony Green and all his stories. <laughs> and I have not changed. I mean, yep, that's the same... Yep what I call youngster that you see sitting in front of you today, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. I am the world's leading expert on A. Green and all the foibles and the funny
2: adventures and the lunatic relatives I've got and me. But, Antti, you said almost casually at one point in the current book, I think, as one ages, painting becomes harder.
0: Yes, I think it's because... uh how can I best put this? Uh, funny things happen to you during a lifetime. We all read art history, and we all know that art that that, that you know we have glorious beginnings. You know the cubists and Derain, for instance, who's early sort of you know expressionist pictures, and then he, he he what they he goes through what they call le rappel à l'ordre, whereby you go away from shattering the image and actually come back to some sort of quasi sort of uh, rationale of kind of clearer image making. Um, so, to con- it's, you, you can't do it every day, day in, day out, for 70 years. So, there comes a time when you, you suddenly question
2: just what, what, what it's all about. Um, and do you think that's part of the move to three dimensions?
0: Yes, I think it was. I think no. by the time I started making three dimensional pictures, it wasn't just the catalyst of a heart attack. It was just that, in fact, I felt that I, I was in danger of repeating myself, and therefore I was looking around for options. As it happened, one fell right into my lap. In fact, I discovered, in fact, you could actually buy a new board that had been invented called multiple medium-density fibre board, which if you bought a thick sheet, you could stand it up. It didn't actually warp, as long as you didn't leave it in the rain, and paint on both sides. And immediately I thought, well, gosh, double-sided picture, that's fun. I'll try and do that. So I started branching out a bit. And in the book, you'll see that, in fact, there are experiments in not only what I call double-sided pictures, but then I start including things like bits of furniture and sort of adding all sorts of odds and sods to see whether, in fact, it's another another way of telling my story. Um, I have to say that if there wasn't a story to tell, I don't really think I would have actually bothered to do it. Because, in fact, I think with a story, you can actually walk right the way around it uh, in the sense that it's rather like all those kind of... I suppose I mustn't well say this because I'm putting myself out of a job, but do uh, you remember those kind of funny cinema experiences when we all went and wore glasses in red and blue and green lenses and things came firing at you out of kind of nowhere? Uh, in a sense, it's a matter... It's trying to find a sort of a new experience. I suspect that all artists are perpetually trying to find new experiences all the time. So sometimes you end up sort of just having a naked canvas because you know, a, a Russian thought it was a good idea in 1917 and nowadays if you can kind of take all the nuts and bolts out of the back and just have a bit of white canvas, it's sort of significant now in, you know, in the European democracies. I've got great doubts about that. The whole business about continuity worries me a lot. So I'm back to the narrative. So the this, na- is
2: a, this is very much, I think, an well, a, a extraordinary work about ageing. About
0: Well, this being... is a picture about... This is actually our, our Ruby wedding anniversary. And it also carries with it the joke of, gosh, I, you know, what about the man who actually... You know, he loves his wife so much. He dived off the wardrobe. Uh, <laughs> ha-ha! Yippee! Uh, Ken Dodd. Greatest living comedian. Yeah. But it's a very serious picture. It is. Because actually, we're getting old.
2: Yeah, it was and poignant, poignant.
0: And things like that. And it's got to do with uh, things like, you know... Mary in her nightie in the cast shadow, which is more real than the person herself. The, car, the, the, the daughter with the dog. Uh, the, 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 everything there, bits of jewellery that i bought for Mary over the years. A bit like you know, being very honest and saying, well, I adored her so much, I, I covered her in jewellery. Uh, Stanley Spencer tried to do the same thing, didn't with, with he? With the
2: wrong word, woman.
0: He never got his leg over there. That was yeah. the trouble. Yeah. That was the snag. Another one. So you can see that actually I can be very vulgar if I want to because that's actually part
2: of the reality of living. Our tent. When this was shown in the narrative painting show, (laughs) the the Stoke Sentinel, which uh, published... uh, I think it was the front page of the Stoke Sentinel. It said, Porn paintings in new museum, Alderman weeps.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... uh, The tent actually was our tent, we did go camping, we camped all the way from Philadelphia all the way to Los Angeles, and it was Katie, our only child at the time. And when we came back to England, we used it for family holidays camping down in Sussex near the seaside, and it simply struck me that on a holiday, in fact, we went as we camped in the tent. One of the problems you have with children, those of you who've got children you have been camping, having sex in a tent with children is tricky. Um, so, in fact, you tend not to have sex. So, in fact, you actually end up actually having a non-sexual holiday. Um, <laughs> and then if you're living in a, in a small village in, in Kent, you can't even buy a decent bottle of champagne. And that's where I discovered the, that wonderful drink the Spaniards make called Frexinet, which you could buy in a co-op, which I'd never drunk it before. Um, but you see what I mean? You have to learn your standards. You really do. You know, when you're a married person, you can't have as much sex as you want to because you've got little children in the tent with you. You can't get the champagne that you actually aspire to, etc., etc. And so it goes on. So you live in a deliciously imperfect world, which actually suits me down to the ground, <laughs> upon reflection.
2: Quite recently, at a Royal Academy do, I mean, just between academicians, Anthony stood up and raised his glass. We were just talking. He said, I revere Bupenkaka. Did some of you see the Bhupen Kaka show at the table? I wonder if you like, like this. Anthony just told me that he when he visited Baroda. Bhupen
0: Kaka is probably one of the, well, is probably the most important artist that's come out of Indian contemporary art in the last 50 years. Uh, I met him, No, I, I knew of his work, and when we traveled to India, we went to to dinner with, with Bupin, uh in Baroda. And he had just finished a painting of, of, of himself and his, 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 his lover, his male lover, uh, embracing with erect penises. It was an amazingly moving and truthful painting. Talk about me wanting to run down the high street in my underpants.
2: Doctor. I mean, this
0: painting in the Indian context, would well, it kind of gets you banged
2: up. And so, I mean, in fact, uh, I I arrived a few weeks later and Bupin thought that it could never be shown in India. So I I rolled it up and took it home. We had it above our bed for about five years.
0: (laughs) It's one of the greatest, most loving paintings that's been done in India in in modern times. It's a wonderful painting. Uh, There are books published on Bupin, sort of biographies and things, with this painting illustrated in it. Uh, And it's extraordinary. We do live... Actually, there's no such thing as the good old days. I have painted enough of the good old days to know that now is better days. The fact is that Boupin wouldn't have been able to paint that picture. He wouldn't have been able to have that relationship and actually showed it to lots of people, which is a tender, loving thing. Again, it's a picture that you... Yes, this one, as well as is, is another a sister picture to it. The fact is that the painting of my 40th wedding anniversary are pictures which, in fact, do not carry revulsion the way some of the sexual, a lot of the sexual paintings by Francis Bacon carry. Whereby, for an ordinary person like myself, who happens to be an artist as well, who thinks Bacon's a rather rather marvelous painter, the paintings are actually revolting. They're revolting <laughs> in a revolting way. They're about cruelty and
2: humiliation. Boupin's painting has nothing to do with that, and neither of mine. Okay, one more. Kind of half a pound of that. This is an early picture. From is that from America? No, it isn't. it, no, it was painted just after we came back from America. And it, I know that that dome from Highgate.
0: It is. It's Holy Jones, yeah, and Saint yeah. Joseph's, where I was confirmed ah. uh, when I was still in a Catholic uh, grammar school.
2: But so, I was when I was making these these images, my assistant, sort of young young artist who loved them, but he said. Uh, he immediately thought of Indian miniatures. Well, quite right too, because I've been very influenced
0: by them. Uh, uh, the way they organise the picture plane mm. is something of acute interest to me, and a lot of the ways that I actually sp- sp- plan my compositions are on an inherently flat surface. The Indian miniature is built on the same understanding that it is a flat surface that you are spreading your information on, or use the word decorating, whatever you will.
2: It certainly is one of many both early and recent pictures in the book that I didn't know and that I haven't fully come to terms with yet. And, I mean, I I thought I knew Anthony's work, but of course one doesn't. And uh, there are, is it 600 pictures in all? There are 600 since 1971. Yeah. Uh, They've been, they're all... And they're pretty ambitious pictures, most of them. Um, Most of them are, I should think, not less than six foot... And well, many quite of quite a lot
0: of them are. Some of them, there are some smaller ones. Yep. I run
2: out of energy occasionally and do yep. tiddlers. But they are worlds, They are like like uh, the Romanist tympanus. So and that's... I've
0: managed to. I've, lived, I've been lucky enough to live long enough to paint my family, my children, my, my in-laws, microcosm. my mother and her two husbands. I've been able to paint my and French relatives, etc., etc. And place and place as well. Which is very important. I've painted the flat in London to extinction, the cottage in the country where we now live, uh, in Cambridgeshire. I've painted the the venues in France where my family have have lived. I've even painted the the venues where my grandfather was planning to retire in 1930 near Bergerac, where he was actually born before he came here as a a chef in the the 1919 period. Uh, I've even painted the garden there with the house. I went round it, in fact, where there were tenants in it. It had been lived in by Nazi... Uh, dust Reich regiment coming up from the south to try and relieve before Patton made the breakthrough. Uh, and they left in such a hurry that they didn't actually blow the, ch- the house up. Uh, they had actually drunk all the, all the wine in the cellar and they smoked all his Corona cigars, which he had also pinched from the Waldorf Hotel as being the chef de cuisine there. So I'm Anthony, just saying,
2: what about the tilted space question? I mean, almost all your work, there's, you very seldom see... I mean, tilted
0: space is so convenient on a flat board. Uh, If you actually want, if you go in for literalism, this bottom line is the ground plane. Everything above it is the sky. It's rather like when you're standing in Cambridgeshire, it's so bloody flat, you just get a line and you get sky, and there's a kind of tiny little bit of landscape like that. But once you've actually accepted that, you've you, you found this is the bottom edge, that's the, that's the ground line, you then can do anything you like. You can lift it straight up there, or you can bend it, you can curve it. A very distinguished colleague of ours, Eon um, glow, of course, who actually painted from, li- from life all the time, and acute observation, used to actually draw attention repeatedly to the fact that if you actually painted a very long skirting board behind a plagiant nude, it would curve because of the art, the the thing. And, of course, it was very clever to sort of do that. Well, of course, yes, it is clever. Once you've done it once, so you can keep on Mm -hmm. doing it. Uh, The trick, of course, is to actually do this with a horizon and sort of make the water run downhill, which I've also been known to do. Uh, But, of course, it's a picture. Uh, even Hockney knows about that. Even his picture, which is when he, one of his pictures, he says, This is a still, there's a great tiger what leaps towards a man. You'll never get to the the tiger will never move. Some of the figures in my paintings, in fact, you, if you patted them on the bottom and they stood up, they'd be 33 feet tall, you see, or midgets. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's art. You've been a fantastic audience. None of you rushed the stage, which was absolutely wonderful. When you actually leave here, you must actually go across Piccadilly and down to. Uh, Chris, Beatles. Chris Beatles Gallery where there's another exhibition of Anthony Green's on show where you'll be able to see the painting of my mum dreaming about her poor Stan who's just dropped dead and there's a whole exhibition of about 40 of odd works so in a sense Beatles and Green is rather like Cross and Blackwell so you know, you know once you've actually made the link you'll never forget us
1: <laughs> please join me uh, and thank you very very much Anthony Green and Timothy Hyman for a really entertaining afternoon thank you <laughs>